Can we hear it one more time for the worship team, guys? Man. You guys are killing these 90s songs. That's awesome. Well, welcome to church, everyone. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 10 is uh, where we're going today. Uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to get there in a little bit. Um, and if you grew up in church, maybe even if you didn't grow up in church, you might still recognize uh, the story we're going to unpack today because it is that famous. In fact, it's one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. It is the story of the Good Samaritan, and it's found in Luke chapter 10. Uh, but let me give those of you who might be new here a quick recap of kind of what we've been doing in this series over the last couple of weeks. We are in part three today of our seven-week spring series called I Love the 90s, where we've been revisiting the decade of the 90s and also looking at what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've kind of been unpacking our core values as a church community. Now, what I've told you guys the last several weeks is that for me personally, the decade of the 90s really was a decade of progress. I was a middle school student, a high school student, and a college student, all of that in the decade of the 90s. So my entire teenage years, um, the greatest years of probably mental growth, social growth, physical growth that I experienced happened in that decade. But not just for me. Historians have labeled the 90s as the decade of progress. In the 90s, we went from, from pay phones to cell phones, and computers and the internet became available to everyone, not to mention the rise of video games. Are there any video game fans out there? All right, many of you, awesome. But we, we didn't just see progress in technology. I mean, many businesses really took off. Our economy took off in the 90s. Um, for example, let, let's just look at the, the food industry for a second. Let me, let me take a survey. How many of you, as kids maybe, you loved McDonald's growing up? Can I see a show of hands? McDonald's folks? Yeah. As a, as a kid, I loved McDonald's. In fact, I remember having several birthday parties at McDonald's. That is not a picture of one of my birthday parties at McDonald's. Chris, that is a uh, that was uncool, man. I just want to say that to the, to the tech guys back there. But yeah, M McDonald's was, was really, really big, popular, used to have birthday parties with Ronald. And so what we're going to do is we've been doing in this series is we've been having um, a little bit of uh, 90s trivia kind of games throughout the series where you guys can win some fabulous prizes. And so Pastor Jim is going to help me out again. He's going to grab the mic, and we've got some, some gift cards to give out to Dairy Queen. Um, if you guys can help me out with this, with this 90s trivia, late 80s, early 90s trivia, and again, here's what I need you to do. Please don't shout out the answer. If you think you know the answer, raise your hand. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you guys on some 90s fast food kind of advertising slogans and see if you guys remember some of these late 80s, early 90s, okay? So um, how many of you enjoy fast food restaurant Wendy's? You like Wendy's? Yeah, okay, they got some good food in Wendy's. Now, Wendy's had a really popular campaign that came out in the mid-80s, like around 1985, and it went into the early 90s. And so we have a picture of one of their ads, and it, it, it starred um, the young lady over there on the right, uh, Clara Peller. Um, does anyone remember the catchphrase for this series? All right, Jim's, 
Jim's going to be my eyes. Wendy, you help him out if you think he's making a, uh, a mistake here. But he's going all the way back. He saw a hand shoot up on Where's the beef? Where's the beef? That's right. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that um, that campaign where they would like lift up the burger and there was a really tiny little patty in there and she'd be like, where's the beef? And that caught on really, really big for Wendy's. Absolutely. And then in the 90s, this was like probably my favorite hangout spot with my friends in high school. Um, there was Taco Bell. Are there any Taco Bell fans here? And they had this advertising campaign with the little chihuahua. Does anyone remember what the... the the catchphrase was, maybe in the middle over here, I saw a hand shoot up. <laughs> We're giving you a workout today, Jim. <laughs> oh, no, he saw someone over there. Okay, here he goes. He's going across the room over here. Yeah, this was, this was really big. And, and one of the reasons why I loved um, Taco Bell in the 90s was you could go there, and for like five bucks, you could order the entire menu. So it was awesome for me and my friends. Yo quiero Taco Bell. That's right. Yo quiero Taco Bell. I want some Taco Bell. Awesome. Yep. Don't forget the gift card. There we go. Awesome. And then, um, and then this fast food chain really took off. Um, if you guys remember Popeyes. Do you guys remember Popeyes and their spicy chicken? Does anyone remember their big catchphrase? And it's still going on today, I think, but it, it took off in the 90s. Anyone remember this? Anybody? Anybody? Da, 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 da. Huh? You guys don't have Popeyes here? No, really? Nobody has Popeyes. There's a Popeyes right by the mall in Maine. What are you talking about? Really? Okay. Oh, 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 Stella thinks she might know. We don't know, so you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Evidently. You we'll give it to you whatever. regardless. Yeah. Like, love that chicken from Popeye's? Yes, you're absolutely right. That's what <laughs> love that chicken from Popeye's. Yep, that was when you say Popeye's, we're thinking Wimpy and Bluto and all of that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Spinach, can of spinach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was big. I have a funny Popeye story. I'll digress for a second. But one time um, in Maryland, I drove up to a Popeye's because Julie loves like their spicy chicken. That was like... She grew up on that stuff. But um, I pulled up and I ordered chicken, and they said, I'm sorry, sir, um, we're out of chicken. And I was like, what else you got? Like, you are, you are literally a chicken place. I don't know what else you have. Have the mashed potatoes. Um, and, and then now what about these guys? Um, this is, we're done with trivia, but how many of you guys know what this is? Say it on the count of three together. One, two, three. Chick-fil-A. And we finally have one of those. Yay, let's celebrate. Okay, awesome. Now, I have to be very, very careful as a pastor talking about Chick-fil-A in church. Because what will happen is I'll talk about Chick-fil-A and you folks will start thinking about Chick-fil-A. And then after service today, some of you will drive over to Westbrook and you'll try to get some lunch. And you will then realize that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And I will get some wonderful affirming text messages from some of you like, I hate you, pastor, okay? But here's the deal about Chick-fil-A. Did you know that the first Chick-fil-A opened up in Atlanta, Georgia in 1967? But it wasn't until the 90s that Chick-fil-A really began to make incredible progress and open up all of their independent restaurants across the country like we now know it today. That didn't happen until the 90s where it started booming. Now, why are we talking about Chick-fil-A at church? Well, other than the fact that they make an awesome chicken sandwich, all right, and don't get me started on their cookies and sweet tea. I might get charismatic up on the stage talking about their cookies and sweet tea. Um, in fact, those of you who are coming to District Assembly, I think lunch for District Assembly, we're going to cater Chick-fil-A, so that's going to be off the chain, okay? But one of the things about Chick-fil-A is they are really known for something other than their food, and that is this. They're known for their service. They're known for their service. 
Like there could be 50 cars in the drive-through lane and you might still get your food in five minutes. And when they finally give you your food order, what do they always say to you? My pleasure, my pleasure. And that's just a drive-through. One time um, I took my five children and a couple of their friends by myself to Chick-fil-A for lunch. I don't know what I was thinking. I live dangerously sometimes, okay? I think the employees saw the terror on my face as I walked into the restaurant with seven kids. And so after I, I, I took the order, they said, just go have a seat. And I sat down, and they brought the food to my table. They came around several times to ask if I needed anything, if we needed extra napkins, if we needed a refill on drinks, if I needed a Valium, like anything that I needed. And when a small child, who will remain nameless, spilled a drink all over the floor, and I was mortified, before I could even do anything about it, an employee from the restaurant was there with a mop and a bucket, and they were like, no worries, we got it, and started cleaning it up. And I was like, thank you so much. And they were like, my pleasure. Chick-fil-A that day, through unbelievable service, made me feel cared for and incredibly, incredibly valued. Now, Chick-fil-A is a fast food restaurant. So here's my question. Why isn't God's church known for its incredible service? In fact, I would argue that the American church is probably more known for how we scream at people and condemn them than for how we serve them. Everybody knows what the church is against. Nobody knows what we're for. Why is a fast food joint, which isn't even healthy for people, outdoing the church of God when it comes to serving people? So today, that's what I kind of want to unpack. Now, as I've said, we're currently in the third week of this 90s series. And, and during this series, we've been looking at some of the core values of our church. These are the things that we would fight for, that we would bleed over. These are our core values. Because here at First Light, we believe something. We believe that God created you on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose in this life. And we said that there is kind of this key Bible verse, this overarching verse written by the Apostle Peter, which is kind of the key to this entire series. And here's what Peter said. In 2 Peter 3.18, he said this. He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. That as followers of Jesus, we are actually called by God to grow to take next steps in our walk with him. And so in this series, we've been answering the question, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, in week one, we looked at the story of Philip and Nathaniel that's found in John chapter one. And we saw that Jesus found Philip and changed his life. And the first thing that Philip did was he went out and he tracked down and he found his best buddy, Nathaniel. And he invested in Nathaniel, and he invited him to come meet Jesus. And Nathaniel's life was changed forever because of that encounter. And so we unpacked our first two core values in week number one. And those core values were these right here. Number one, that loved people love people. That loved people love people. And number two, that found people find people. 
that found people find people. That followers of Jesus realize that every single person they're eyeball to eyeball with is loved by God and matters to God. So they should be loved by us and they should matter to us. And that God is calling us to invest in people and invite them to come connect with Jesus. For those of you who missed week number one in this series, I said that in the last two weeks of this series, we are going to present the gospel in some powerful ways, and you're going to want to bring people in your life to church who need to know Jesus. You're going to want to bring them. Loved people love people. Found people find people. And then last week, we unpacked the story of Peter. And we saw how Peter, who was like the most famous disciple, super close to Jesus, walked on water with him, all of those kinds of things. Peter isolated himself from the other disciples and from Jesus after Jesus was arrested. And what wound up happening with Peter? What did he do? Yeah, he denied Jesus, not once, not twice, three times. And we talked about how followers of Jesus need to commit to Christ and that community Having shared experiences, community with other people, that's essential for that commitment. In fact, I said it last week and I'll say it again, that the Christian life is not meant to be done alone. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, especially if you're new to faith, one of the greatest things you can do to take your faith to another level, to take a big next step in your walk with God, is to get connected into community, to join a small group, to start doing life with some other people who are trying to grow in their walk with Jesus. And so last week, we unpacked another one of our, our core values as a church, and it was this, that growing people grow with people, that growing people grow with people. And we've tried to make it really easy for you guys. I challenged you last week that if you're not connected in community, Find a way to get connected in community. We have a table out in the foyer that lists all the different small groups that are currently active, that are starting you know, this spring, that are going to be starting in the fall. Where you can just email us. You can contact us and say, hey, I want to sign up. We'll connect you with that small group leader. For some of you guys, we offered you a real easy jump start starting today, immediately after service. My wife, Julie, and I are going to be doing a six-week small group. Very small commitment. Six weeks one hour, 11.30 to 12.30, we're doing a small group on parenting. And we're going to look at all stages of life, whether you have kids who are in preschool or whether you have kids who are now adults. We're going to talk about parenting along all developmental spans, and we're going to do that for six weeks, 11.30 to 12.30. We're going to give you a snack. We have child care for children. We'd love for you to be a part of that. It's not too late. We just start today. You can sign up right in the foyer and meet us in the parlor at 11.30 if you want to be a part of that. Growing people grow with people. Now this week, we're going to unpack a fourth core value. And you can write this down if you're taking notes. But followers of Jesus, according to the scriptures, understand this, that saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that a saved person, a follower of Jesus, notice I didn't say church attender, because just attending church doesn't make someone a follower of Jesus. So don't fall into that trap. But a genuine follower of Jesus, somebody who loves God, someone who is sold out for God, is naturally drawn by God to want to serve others, 
Saved people serve people. And we can see this spiritual truth powerfully illustrated in a famous story, a parable told by Jesus himself called the story of the Good Samaritan. Now here's a little background before we dive into the story. During Jesus' three-year ministry, as he began to gain popularity amongst the common, ordinary, kind of everyday people, the religious leaders at the time became more and more threatened by Jesus. And they started to to feel like they were going to lose their control and their power over the people. And so they would send their best debaters, their best theologians. They would even send lawyers who knew the, the law inside and out to follow Jesus, to see if they could catch him in a mistake. And they would ask him very tough spiritual questions in front of crowds of people with the hope of him slipping or saying something wrong and trapping him in his words. And and so this account begins with one of these types of confrontations. And again, it happens in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn to Luke 10. We'll also put it up on the screens as we always do, picking up in verse 25. And here's, here's what the Word of God says. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to what? Test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. First of all, can I just say that the idea of trying to test Jesus theologically was ridiculous, right? Hey, God, let me try to stump you with a question. Crazy, right? But here's the real funny thing. Jesus knew exactly what these guys were up to. So rarely did he ever kind of play along in their game and try to directly answer them or debate with them. He would usually spin it around, and just ask them a question right back. Or he would tell them a story called a parable to kind of reveal a hidden truth. And so these religious leaders would be like, Jesus, what do you think about this? And Jesus would be like, well, this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. 90s reference, Google it, okay? And the religious leaders and the teachers of the law would be left kind of scratching their heads. They're like, what is, what is he talking about? But Jesus was just too smart. Like, he wouldn't get trapped in any of their games. But in this particular encounter with this expert of the law, we get a double whammy from Jesus. First, he answers back with a question of his own, and then he goes into the story. He goes into this parable, which is so powerful. So here's what he says. He starts with this in Luke 10, verse 26. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is so smart. The lawyer asks, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, you're the flipping expert of the law. Why don't you tell us? What do you think? And the lawyer actually answers the question. Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Jesus like, ding, 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 ding. Good answer. Good answer. We have a winner. Thanks for playing. But the teacher of the law keeps on pressing because he didn't, he didn't get Jesus to fall into a trap. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And, and now this is where the manure hits the fan, not only for this lawyer, but for all of us as well. In order to understand today's core value 
that saved people serve people, we need to be able to understand two things today. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Number one is this. First, we need to see like Jesus. We need to be able to see like Jesus. One of the things I've started to learn as I've gotten older is that the older you get, the more you start to look at life a little bit differently. Is that right, older people? Would you agree with that? Sometimes your perspective changes the older you get. I think I've shared this story before, but, you know, for me, for many summers um, over the years, our family would go to church camp during the summer. In fact, on on the Mid-Atlantic District, which is, you know, Maryland, Delaware, D.C., Southern Pennsylvania, and the Church of the Nazarene, um, my wife, Julie, and I, we actually ran the children's camp program at our district family camp every summer. Um, and we would have about 100 elementary age kids between the ages of kindergarten and fifth grade, and we ran that program for over a decade. And uh, if you can't tell by now, um, uh, my wife and I were a little bit um, different, okay? Like when we do camp, it's like um, children's camp on crack. And, and if, you saw, if you saw our back-to-school series last fall, if you were a part of that, that'll give you a little bit of a glimpse of kind of like how we did camp. In fact, that... That was a really fun series. Many of you kind of wrote in and said how much you enjoyed that series. We're probably going to do that again this fall because it was great having all the kids in here and all the teens and having them be a part of a series like that. Um, I thought that was awesome. So we'll probably do that again. Um, but, but it was a blast. And my kids, um, you know, they, they loved going to family camp every single year. They loved um, helping out in children's church. They loved swimming in the Big Creek. And one of their most favorite things to do at camp was to ride their bikes. And so we would load up the bikes every year on the back of the minivan, and we would bring the bikes to camp. And camp was often around the 4th of July, too. And so the kids would decorate their bikes with you know, patriotic colors and all that kind of stuff and streamers. And then they would do a bike parade uh, for the 4th of July before a fireworks show, and the kids could ride their bikes around and do this bike parade. And it was a lot of fun. But there was one big rule at family camp about bikes, and that was instituted because of, you know, some accidents that happened, and that is that all kids were required to wear a bike helmet at camp. Now, when I was a kid growing up on the tough streets of Upper Marlboro, Maryland, we didn't wear bike helmets in the 80s and 90s, because in the 80s and especially the early 90s, like, we didn't have any safety standards. And if you grew up during that time period, you, you get that. There was, like, no safety standards. Like, I remember the first time, it was probably in the 90s, that I saw a kid in our neighborhood riding around wearing a bike helmet. And the first thing I thought to myself was, that kid looks ridiculous. Like, they're probably going to get beat up. Their parents should have rethought that. Uh, I, I remember, you know, my, my dad in the 90s and and in the 80s, um, and some of the stuff that he did with me. um, I I remember he let me drive our blue Dodge Aspen station wagon around the neighborhood. And you might say, well, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor? I was six years old when he allowed me to do that, (laughs) right? Um, Looking back on that, um, that was freaking nuts, Dad. Um, It was also awesome. It It was really, really cool. But If I did some of the stuff like my father did with me, with my children, um, your pastor would probably get arrested today. 
So back to family camp, Julie realized that we didn't bring any bike helmets. So she was like, AJ, you need to go down to Walmart and you need to get the kids some bike helmets. And I was like, um, they don't need helmets. How weird do you want them to look at camp? There's like basically no cars driving around. It's, it's fine. And my wife, who has responsibility as her number one strength, and she's a big time rule follower, she was like, AJ, just get the helmets. It's a camp rule. We don't want to get in trouble. And I didn't back down. And I was like, woman? No, I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> I was like, Julie, uh, they don't need helmets. I was like, I never wore a helmet riding my bike as a kid. And she paused, and she looked at me for a second, and she said, exactly, explains a lot. Go get the helmets, all right? So I went and got the bike helmets. But see, as I've gotten older and hopefully a little bit wiser, my perspective has changed. I focused a lot more on safety. I remind my kids every time they get in the car to put on their seatbelt, right? I wear my seatbelt. When I go four-wheeling or, you know, anything like that, I put on a safety helmet. When I get on a jet ski, I put on my life jacket. Or if I get on a boat, um, I, I'm much more focused on that. Uh, my my three-year-old, uh, for those of you who were on social media, fell down a flight of stairs on Monday. Um, luckily, he was okay. He just, you know, hit his head and he needed three stitches on his forehead. Um, you may see him wrapped in bubble wrap and in a ball for the rest of his life. We might call him Bubble Boy and just roll him around the church, okay? But safety is, like, important to me. Um, but my perspective has changed on it. It's the same thing for followers of Jesus. When you love Jesus and you're following him, God begins to change you. He begins to change you from the inside out. And we start to see as he sees. We no longer kind of look through our eyes. We start to look through Jesus' eyes. You can't follow Jesus and stay the same. And with that in mind, let's unpack this parable, picking up in verse 30. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let me stop there for a second, because um, it would be real easy for us to just kind of blow through that first verse and dive right into the story, and we might miss something really important. Because Jesus mentions two geographical locations in this first piece of this first verse. And anytime Jesus mentions something, it's probably important. And so he says a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The trip from Jerusalem to Jericho is 17 miles, but it is a 3,000-foot drop in elevation from Jerusalem to Jericho. I actually got to travel this road when I was in Israel several years ago. Those of you who are going with us to Israel next February, we're probably going to be going down this road at some point um, in our time there. Uh, for those of you who didn't know about Israel, come talk to me. we got two spots left. You can still go on that trip next year. But it was a big change in elevation, 3,000-foot drop. In addition to the elevation change, here's another interesting fact. Jerusalem had another name. It was known as the City of Blessing. The city of blessing. It's where the temple was. It's where people could go to have their sins forgiven. It's where Jesus would later be crucified to save all of us from our sins. Jericho, on the other hand, was known as the city of the curse. The city of the curse. If you guys remember the Old Testament story, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. 
And so Joshua and the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. God knocked the walls down and cursed the city and said, anyone who tried to rebuild those walls would be under a curse. And so the guy in this story is walking away from a blessing and he's walking down towards a curse. And like this guy in the story, some of us are walking maybe a similar path today. You've been walking away from God. You've been walking down a road away from a blessing and towards a curse. And like we said last week, nobody's life has ever gotten better walking away from God. But there are plenty of people in this world who could share with you how that trip damaged their life and left wounds and scars and pain. There are people here today maybe wrestling with that choice. Do I walk away? from what God is calling me to do? Instead, should I pursue that relationship or or should I pursue that choice which I don't think is the one God maybe wants for me? But here's what happens every time someone walks away from God. Let's continue with that verse. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This is what happens when people walk away from God and what is right. When we walk away from God, we fall into the hands of the enemy. Some of us have been there. Most of us know people in our lives who are there. People who mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually have had their butt kicked and they're bloody. And they feel like they're left for dead on the side of the road. And let me tell you something about these people. A sermon or a hymn probably isn't going to get them back on track. So what can we do as followers of Jesus for them? Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Isn't it interesting that the priest or the pastor in this story, was also walking down the same road from Jerusalem to Jericho. See, church people can walk the same road away from God as non-church people. The only difference is they do it with a suit on attending church every week. Their focus is often on external behavior and following rules instead of internal change and a personal relationship with God. So they wear a mask at church to keep up appearances as their internal lives crumble away underneath. But what they don't get is that Jesus isn't after our behaviors. He's after our heart. He's after our heart. So this priest sees a man in need, and he walks on by. Isn't that interesting? He probably said, I'll pray for you as he headed to his church service or Bible study or prayer group. And don't get me wrong, I love Bible studies. I'm all for prayer groups. I've just seen too many Christians in my life get so caught up in theology and needing some deep teaching in their life. And they miss out on what it means to actually live out being a follower of Jesus. I've seen it too many times, way too many times. 
They get so caught up on theology that it propels them to arrogance instead of being so filled with love that it moves them to action. That was some good preaching right there. Someone should have amen that. Just want to point that out, okay? And becoming a super smart theologian is not becoming more like Jesus. It's actually becoming more like Satan, who knows the word of God inside and out, but doesn't apply it. Someone who can teach a Bible study and has all that knowledge and then walks right by a dying person doesn't have an issue with learning more about God. They have a problem with living out God's love. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite was a person heavily involved in church, a church leader, a board member perhaps. Now I'm confused. Why did the most qualified people to take action do nothing? Maybe they felt like they weren't adequate enough. I hear from people all the time, Pastor, I'm nothing special. What could God use me for? We're going to talk about that more later. But, but as your pastor, if I could take you out for a cup of coffee and sit down across from you and, and look you eyeball to eyeball, here's what I would tell each and every one of you. You are called, you are equipped, and you are in fact commanded by God to not just go to church but to be the church, okay? Do you know what every great hero in the Bible had in common? They ultimately trusted God and were obedient. They trusted God and allowed him to use their lives. Have you read the Bible? They were some of the most jacked up, unqualified people on earth. But they chose to trust God and obey him, and God did incredible things through their lives. Jesus didn't die for you so you could waste your life. You were blessed by God to be a blessing in this world. There's a world full of people who have had the mess beat out of them, and they're dying in a ditch. You are the church of the living God, and he is calling his church to take action. And then Jesus shocks the crowd, and he reveals the hero of his story. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, this was like a shocker from like a great M. Night Shyamalan movie, okay? I know there aren't too many of those, but think of The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis, 90s reference, by the way. Great movie, twist ending. The Samaritan was viewed as the scum of the earth by Jewish people at that time period. In fact, a good Jewish person wouldn't be caught dead hanging out with a Samaritan. But in Jesus' story, it's not the holy priest or the Levite who's the hero. No, it's the Samaritan who saw the dying man and took pity on him. I love that Jesus chose a Samaritan to be the hero of the story. See, this story should give every single one of us hope 
Because if there was ever an unlikely person for God to be able to use, it would have been the Samaritan. And if you've ever thought in your life, I'm a nobody, I'm just too messed up, I've done too many things wrong in my life for God to ever care about me or use me, God is speaking to you directly today, and he is telling you directly today that he wants to do something great through your life. So it was a Samaritan who actually was the one who saw as Jesus sees, which leads to number two. We don't have to just see as Jesus sees, but number two, then we need to respond. We need to respond. Authority is tough for some people. Um, let me ask you guys to be transparent this morning. How many of you have been pulled over by the cops this year in 2023? Can I see a show of hands? Ooh, man. All right. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Wow. Those are the sinners here today. I just want to point them out to you guys. Now, a few years ago, um, I was on my way to church with my family for a Thanksgiving Eve service. Thanksgiving Eve service. And I took a back road because I was running a little bit late. Um, and I was children's pastor at the time. And I, I needed to get there to get things set up. And I thought the speed limit, I hadn't tr traveled this road really, but I knew there was no lights on it. And I thought the speed limit on the road was 45. And if the speed limit on a road is 45, you can easily go like 55, right? You guys with me? Or 70, right? Maybe that's just me. Okay. But as I came over a hill on this road, I noticed two things. One, right as I went over the hill, I saw a speed limit sign, and it said 25 miles per hour. And at the bottom of the hill, I saw a police officer standing outside of his car with a radar gun pointed right at me. I was not very thankful on that Thanksgiving Eve. I was not saying, thank you, Lord, for this authority figure that you have placed in my life to protect me and my family. In fact, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it this morning, but I think my kids heard me cuss for the first time as I came over that hill and I saw that cop. And as I pulled the car over, Liberty, my eldest, who was like eight or nine years old at the time, was probably processing what just came out of her father's mouth. And she sees the police lights flashing and she starts announcing to all the kids in the car, hey, everybody, everybody, daddy just used a bad word and he's going to jail. But see, being a follower of Jesus means willingly placing ourselves under the authority of God. If we aren't responding to God's leaning in our life, then we're just playing church. For some of us today, God's pointing a big radar gun at you. He's pointing a radar gun at your life, and he's telling you that you need to pull over and that you need to respond to his call and his command that saved people, serve people. Here at First Light South Portland Church, we don't want a church full of spectators. We want a church full of active participators. Because again, God isn't just looking for people to go to church. He's looking for people to be his church. And I want our church to be filled with people who love Jesus so much that they're living it out in their lives. The Samaritan didn't sit on the sidelines when he saw as Jesus saw. He responded. Check out 
what he did in verse 34 and 35. Here's what he did. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. The Samaritan got personally involved in the wounded man's life. Listen up. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be serving in your church. And if you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you are currently not serving in your church, there are at least 30 New Testament commands that you are not being obedient to. So how do I get involved? Well, there are two big ways I want to talk about, and then we'll end today. Number one is spiritual involvement. Spiritual involvement. The oil and wine the Samaritan used have big spiritual symbolism. Throughout Scripture, oil is used to represent the Holy Spirit of God, and wine is used to represent the blood of Christ. How can you get involved spiritually in your church? One big way is daily praying for your church. Is your church part of your daily prayer life? What if we all began to regularly pray for our church, for the health of our church, for our church to be accomplishing its mission to reach people? What if we all prayed like some big audacious prayers, like we prayed for our church to reach 100 people for Jesus in 2023? Some folks will say, ah, that's kind of crazy. Why? If God can do incredible things in Scripture, in our Bibles, don't you believe he can do that today? I mean, thousands of people came to Christ at Pentecost. Isn't he the same God who can do those things today in our community? Here's another area where you can pray. You can pray for your pastors here. You can pray for our families you could pray for the people who are walking through the doors. Did you know that every Sunday morning in the parlor, a group of people gather at about 9.30 to pray for the service, to pray for the people who are walking in, to pray for children's ministry and Lighthouse Kids, to pray for Fuse ministry that's going to happen later on Sunday evening? You could be a part of that team. All you have to do is show up a little bit early to church, come into the parlor, join us on the prayer ministry team. Number two, Physical involvement. Physical involvement. The Samaritan got his hands dirty. The man was half dead. He dug him out of the dirt. I'm sure he broke a sweat, lifting up the weight, carrying him to a donkey. And then he paid the medical bill. Here at First Light, we have volunteers that get here at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Did you know that? There are people who get here at 8 a.m. to help get the sound booth ready to help with worship. There are people who get here like 9 o'clock to start preparing to greet visitors, to get the coffee going, to serve coffee, to open doors and make people feel welcome, to help somebody park a car who might need help parking a car. We have volunteers who get here early who love on preschoolers and babies. And we even make it easy for them. We prep all the curriculum. They just look at it during the week. They get a little email with what's coming up, everything's set for them, 
they just come in here and we just tell them, all you have to do is love on babies and preschoolers. And they literally get their hands dirty sometimes changing diapers. God bless them. Like the Foo Fighters song that the band played earlier, you are my hero, okay? We have people who become a godly influence and mentor in the lives of elementary kids every Sunday morning at Lighthouse Kids. Again, we, all, we prep all their stuff for them. We make it really easy. We say, here's your mission. Relationally connect with kids. Be a godly mentor in their life. That's what you got to do. We have middle school and high school students at Fuse, people who invest in their lives as small group leaders in student ministry on Sunday nights, get here at 4 o'clock each and every Sunday. We have people who serve in our, our Life Essentials Compassionate Ministry, giving clothing, food, and diapers to people in need. Every single week, we have people who come here on Friday and they collect clothes from people. Every month, they open up downstairs and they open up a clothing closet. And sometimes there's a line of people wanting to come in to get clothing. Every Friday, we've got an awesome team who's here in the foyer and they set up tables and there's tons of food, fresh vegetables and fruit. You don't know how much that blesses families from the daycare who come. It, it was so cool. I was here on Friday just watching, just watching. And we have families from our daycare, many of them who don't go to church anywhere. And they come in on Friday carrying a grocery bag, so excited. And their kids are picking out fruits and vegetables. You can be a part of that team, having a conversation with someone, building a relationship, pointing someone to Jesus who's maybe never connected with God before. We, we have people who, who serve in our Lighthouse daycare Monday through Friday, each week in this building. Incredible teachers and leaders from our church. And they're always looking for more. They have a tough time trying to find people who love Jesus, who want to be a teacher in the preschool and the daycare. And it's a struggle. And oftentimes they have to hire non-Christian people over there. And then that becomes a part of the ministry. But imagine if we could make every leader over there, at least our lead teachers, all believers in Christ. Imagine the impact that would have on like the 90 preschoolers, most of whom, again, don't go to church anywhere. If each of them, by the time they graduated, when they were five years old, knew there was a God who loved them and that Jesus wanted to be their friend forever. Is that worth it, church? Is that worth it to us? then we should invest in it. We have seniors here who are retired who could probably invest an hour to come and say, you know what, I'm willing to sit with some preschoolers for an hour so some of those teachers could go and meet in a room and have a Bible study for a break in the middle of the day. What an impact that would have in the lives of some of those teachers who maybe don't know Jesus. That could be powerful. That could have eternal consequences that could matter 100 years from now absolutely life-changing. We have people who head over to Seaside Rehabilitation Nursing Home Sundays after church, and they minister to some of our most needy elderly folk who feel like they're abandoned, and they love them. You think that's worth it? Carl up in the sound booth. Where's Midge? Mitch, right over there. Could you guys use some more volunteers? Loving on people? You bet they could.
Bethnica. We have incredibly generous people in this church who said, God, you can have first place in my finances. And they tithe every single month to support the work of God in this church. We have people who go above and beyond the tithe. Every month they give to the 1 in 100 fund to help people in need. Every month they give to Faith Promise to help missions across the world. We have people who have written in their will <laughs> to donate stuff for the kingdom. It's incredible. We have incredible servants here at First Light South Portland. But let me tell you, there's room for more. There's room for more. You're needed here. And God has brought you here into this church community with a purpose. You matter to this church. There's nobody else on earth like you. The skills, the talents, the things you bring are unique. And when you get involved, God is going to bless you in ways you couldn't imagine. He will grow you in ways you couldn't imagine. So here's my question to you. Will you partner with us? Will you get spiritually and physically involved in your church? Here's how Jesus ended the story. Last verse, and then we'll close. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him. Go and do likewise. Jesus said, look at the example of the jacked up Samaritan who had nothing going for him, who wasn't perfect by any means, except for the fact that he saw people the way Jesus did and he responded as God directed, that he was obedient. Church, in the lobby today, there's a table. And we have just some sheets of paper that talk about the various ministries in the church. Worship, sound, greeters, life essentials, the daycare, children's ministry, fuse, seaside nursing home. You have an opportunity today. Sign your name. Say, I want more information. I'd like to be a part. I don't know how yet. Somebody contact me. I want to find a way where I can serve, where I can connect. You have an opportunity today to get connected. Why? Because saved people serve people. And when followers of Jesus begin to grasp this incredible truth, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. It can change you. It can change our church. It can change the world. Can we pray together? Let's pray with heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, God, I know, again, today, this is a message that'll land with people in different situations in different ways. We've got teenagers in the room. We've got parents. We've got grandparents. God, I just pray we would be challenged by this. We would be challenged to be people who see as Jesus sees and who then respond. God, we don't want to be people who just sit on the sidelines. Just go to church week after week after week, but aren't being the church in this world. God, for some of us, we know this is our next step. And I just pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do. And that then you would give us the courage to take that step and do something about it. 
As the worship team prays, these altars are open. Maybe some of us, we, we just need to repent today and say, God, I need to be obedient to you. Use my life. You can have it however you see fit. Take my life as a living sacrifice to you. I love you, God. You gave me everything. You can use my time. You can use my talents. You can use my resources. They're yours. God, I pray that you would honor some choices and some decisions made here today. And I pray this in your son's name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Feel free to respond as you see
God is good and all the time. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful to be gathered here together in this place. We're thankful for your presence and your spirit with us. And Lord, today we give ourselves again to you. Lord, it is the prayer of our heart to say we are available, Lord, to do with our lives what you will. We will go where you send us. We will say what you tell us to say. We will do what you tell us to do, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would open up opportunities, Lord, in our communities, in our jobs, and the places we go about, Lord, to serve you and to do your work, Lord. That you would lead us, Lord, in the ways that you'd want us to serve in this church, Lord, for the benefit of your kingdom, for the glory and the honor of your name, Lord. We give ourselves to you. We pray this in your name. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Go in peace. I hear.